0: Okay, Uh, we are live. Uh, Welcome to the uh, seven mistakes first time home buyers make webinar. I'm Emmett Dempsey, Treasure Trust Mortgage. Uh, Without further ado, let's go ahead and get to it. Let's go ahead and share the screen here. Okay. Okay. Uh, here we go seven mistakes first-time homebuyers make how to avoid mistakes and begin building wealth with real estate uh, okay about me uh, I'm a very much Cheryl's husband okay I'm father of four uh, age 19 six six and four a twin boys uh, mortgage professional since 2007 so I was there where the rubber meets the road during the crash and the rise I uh, funded hundreds of loans as a banker broker big banker you, you name it I'm a US Army veteran with a first duty station out of college was Korea, and then Fort Bragg jumping out of Perfectly Good Airplanes. And then now I'm currently a mortgage broker owner of my own company here in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Okay, what we will cover today in this webinar: why buy a house? We'll start with always start with the why. Uh, wait a minute. Isn't a crash coming? We'll talk. I know I heard, heard that a lot uh, where I sit. Um, we'll talk about the market and interest rates. And then, of course, the seven mistakes first-time homebuyers make and how you can avoid them and, and start building wealth with real estate. Okay, why buy a house except for the, the beautiful pictures I have up here we, for the lovely pool, the granite countertops. I mean, houses are beautiful. We all love uh, looking at houses, but you know, let's talk about the why to buy a house as a first-time homebuyer, you know, who I hopefully that, that you are or you know somebody that is. Uh, there's a survey called the survey of consumer finances. It's done by the federal reserve. It's conducted every three years by the federal reserve. The last one was in 2019. Um, so the next one will be next year. So the, the purpose is to help the government and the public at large, understand the financial condition of families in America. So I know we in the mortgage industry use this survey, uh, just to look at trends, you know, look at, uh, uh housing wealth by versus rent, et cetera. Okay. The results. Homeowners have 40 times greater net worth than renters, 40 times. If you're 40 times more likely to do anything, you would do that thing. <laughs> so, or if you're 40 times more likely to get hurt, you wouldn't do that thing. So it's just, it's staggering. It's, it's not even close, guys. It's 40 times greater. And not only that, uh, and for 2020, it's a quote by the National Association of Realtors Economists, a typical homeowner in 2020, just by being a homeowner, they would have accumulated around $24,000 in housing wealth. Okay. And that's by Lawrence Young, chief economist at NAR. Um, and also the trend is increasing. You know, so like I said, we have data, you know, every three years. So back in 2010, you know, 188, 209. So you can just see over, over the, the course of the years, it's increasing. So why buy a house to build wealth? That's the bottom line. Okay. Moving on, Uh, wait wait a minute, isn't a crash coming? That's where all my friends happened. I was there in 2008, I I know it was scary and it's gonna come back around, right? We're gonna talk about some actual data, facts and math as I like to say, um, about why that may not be the case, why I don't believe it would be the case. Let's go take a look, okay? All right, Uh, question, what drives crashes, economies, et cetera, on a macro level? Basically supply and demand. You know, an imbalance of supply and demand, too much supply, not enough demand, too much demand, not enough supply, etc. cetera. So let's look at the supply, you know, record low housing inventory in the United States. You can see in 2007, you know, uh, right here, you know, it was 3.7 million. Okay. Whereas today we're at 1.28 million and that's actually lower. I've seen, seen some stats where we're actually under a million homes for sale. So you can see we're at the very peak, the average over the year since 1983. So about two and a half million units. Uh, right now we're at uh, 1.28, so that's the supply. So a drastic a little less of supply. Let's look at the, de- the demand. This is one of my favorite charts. This is this looks at the bursts of every single year from 1928 until 2012. Okay, so different generations. So I'm a big pro- proponent of demographics. I think they tell a, a huge story about what's going on. So this is the United States. So basically your, your silent generation, your, your World War II generation, most of those have, have passed on. Your baby boomers, uh, who may not, many may not know, are no longer the biggest generation in America. The millennials are. Generation X is my generation, you know, and then your post millennials, generation Z, what have you. So the average uh, age of a first-time home buyer is 33 years old. That's the median, median age, rather Median, not average. It's a median. Uh, 33 years old, okay? So just keep that in mind. So this point right here is 2006, which was the beginning of the end of the housing crash. You know that's where 33 years old in 2006. So then, uh, 33 years old minus well, 2006 minus 33 is 1973, which is right when Roe versus Wade happened, when abortion was legal. Just general, you know, all those different trends. You know, from from abortion to just less of a birth rate after the boomers. Just you can see just the drop, sheer drop in people. There's just wasn't enough people to buy up that supply that i'd showed previously on this slide 3.7 million you know uh to buy it up so you know get back here 2006 this is where we're at today you know it's a huge millennial trend most millennials have uh you know that, that's the median age of 33 years old I, it's t- trending upward when they're forming households and, and moving out and that's where we're at today and then you can see we have an, an increasing uptrend of new 33-year-olds coming into the market. So basically, a high demand, you know, less of supply. Um, the, the the chances of a housing crash are, are very um or very low to, uh, based on that. Okay. So we let's let's go and talk about mortgage rates. All right. Here we are. That's just my dog. Sorry. <sighs> Okay. So basically, you know, we're at an interest rates. you can see from t- back from 2016, you know, we're at a his- historically low rate. And when I first started, guys, th- 2007, um, you know, interest rates were 7%. And that was all the rage. And you, know, you can talk to your parents, grandparents, you know, they're, they're basically, um, you know, they, they can basically tell you that, uh, you know, rates are double digits, you know, whereas I think we got gotten spoiled off low rates, but even, even so, even back in 2018, I was doing 5%, you know, and 2020 rates dropped in, into the twos, you know, I've done some or 15 years, fixed into the high ones, you know, but here's, here here's the trends going forward. So still historically low, slightly more than 2020, but still extremely low uh, interest rate market. Okay. So, why buy a house? Is it still a great time to buy? You know, buying a home helps build family wealth as we talked about 40 times more. Uh, record low inventory, you know, works for you as a seller. You know, if you're some of the most first time home buyers, um, you know, the inventory works for you so as you're buying, your house will appreciate so you can you know, move up a- as your family gets bigger. I know I've done that personally. Um, increasing demographics of buyers. You know, there's going to be more and more 33-year-olds coming into the market to buy up your house should you buy today. So there's not going to be a drop-off in demand like we saw in 2006, 2008 crash. And still very historically low interest rates, okay? All right, so here we're we here, basically seven mistakes first-time home buyers make, how you can avoid them. Let's go ahead and talk about them right now, okay? Number one, of course, shopping for a home before you're pre-approved. But guys, I know we love homes. They're beautiful, you know. Open houses, you get to see all of these, especially here in South Florida, uh, amazing pieces of property you can see, especially your waterfronts, whatnot. Uh, where I live in my, in my, my community in Port St. Lucie, it's it's beautiful. You know, you, you want to go look at homes first. I understand the draw to homes before loans because loans, you know, <laughs> nobody dreams of waking up and getting a hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. But unless you have a lot of cash, uh, you know, that's that's the reality. So that is a mistake, shopping for a home before you're pre-approved. Let's go ahead and explain why. Why pre-approval first works for you and why it's a good idea. Okay, you will know the numbers. How much home can you afford? That is one, you know, I do online marketing. That's one of the most searched for Google terms is how much home could I afford on my salary or what have you, that's just questions people ask. Uh, And that might've brought you to this webinar, uh, doing that search in Google, how much home can you afford? Uh, You can focus on the right markets. OK, so you know what you're qualified for, you know, that you're not over shopping or you might be qualified for more. It might, it might work for you. It's like, I didn't think I could buy that big of a house or, you know, I need this house. Or I need this space where I can shop in markets you didn't think you're qualified for. But getting pre-approved, it, it, it helps to hone your search. Um, you can shop with the confidence of cash buyer. I mean, just to know you can see a house, this price range, you can kind of, you know, what your monthly payment's going to be. how much it's going to cost out of pocket. You just know the numbers and it won't be a guess. Okay, you understand the cost involved. You know, of course, you know, many realtors won't even allow you to look at a house, especially in this in this hot market, uh, you know, with multiple offers. You, you can't walk in there and say, oh, well, I need to get pre-approved. You know, like they're gonna say, okay, thanks. I've got 10 more other buyers who are pre-approved. So it's not even not even close. Okay. Uh, my pre approval process as a mortgage broker of Treasure Coast Mortgage. This is the way that, that I do it. And basically, we do a discovery call, kind of you know, go over your, uh, its goals base, go over your your uh, go over your goals, and go over your 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 numbers. Like here's how much I have to put down. Here's what I want to do. Uh, all those things. We'll kind of figure out uh, the possibilities. You know, that's what we do. It's called a discovery call. So we discover what you want to accomplish. Okay, uh, document collection. You know, a standard. You know, W2s, pay stubs, bank statements, whatnot. And we make it easy. You know, online tools, online applications. You can upload documents. You know, um, you know. Despite you know, push button get mortgage is out there, but it's really not much reality. I, I, I try and have uh, so I get mobile friendly. Um, you know, through apps or not, whatever, whatever works for you, whatever is easiest. Uh, and we do a strategy call. Okay, so we go over your loan options, and believe it or not, there are options. You know, I know many times we say, "Well, what's your rate?" Like, well, they 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 ask the wrong questions. So I uh, my job is to lay out options because it doesn't matter which loan product that you pick, we all get paid paid the same. So you know, we lay out the you know, options are possible. Here's different down payment amounts. Well, I'm getting a gift for twenty percent down, and we'll talk about that in, in a minute. So my 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 job is to give you options about what is possible. Okay. Then we'll do a, a mortgage coach TCA or send like a video. I know people are busy. A lot of times I'll I'll record a screen share video um, with a mortgage coach, uh, which is a, a, a tool that I use to help lay out the total cost analysis of different options. You know, here's what your cash to close is. Here's the cost over five years, fifteen years. It kind of helps you know give you a a projection. You know by buying today, what, what's going to look like in five years, fifteen years. You know all option one, option two, option three. So that's what I, I help to provide clarity of options before and then and then of course the pre-approval so when you're out shopping and again to increase your confidence as you're out out there looking you know and and this is in in a perfect world you get pre-approved before you're shopping for homes okay and then you go shop for homes so, uh, next is what this is what a mortgage coach will typically look like. You know, basically, here's a 300,000 purchase price, 5% down conventional, 3% down FHA or VA. This is just an example, you know, of this is a buy versus rent analysis. You can see the, the net monthly savings. You know, part of the, uh, the 40 times uh, net worth is just by making your payment. It's called amortization. So, you just by making your payment each month, you're building wealth, even if your appreciation is zero. So that's the, a lot of the drivers of, of the wealth building effect is amortization. Of course, appreciation is just a cherry on top. Okay, number two mistake, not having a professional dream team working for you. Okay, so your team, of course, you know this mortgage guy right here, you know, he's not so bad. So uh, your pre-approval of affordability, you know, and if, if you're not paying cash, uh, you know, uh, realtors, you know, I have several you know, great realtors locally who know the market, uh, the biggest, another kind of sub mistake, I guess, is assuming that the listing agent works for you. And you, you might go to an open house, think, well, well, the agent will get a deal if, and they might give me a deal. Like, yeah, no, they get paid the same from the seller no matter what. You know, so it, it's just have a buyer's agent that works for you. And, and a lot of times there's homes that come on, on the market that you don't see on Zillow or, or any of the portals. I mean, I've worked in real estate offices, I've seen it. I've seen, you know, uh, pocket listings. Uh, going on, where they they never hit the market, you know, they say, I have a buyer looking for this. And they say, Hey, I'm about to list this property. Here you go. I mean, that's what happens every day. Uh, of course, you're yeah, a home inspector, you know, you definitely want to get a home inspection. It's te- technically optional. In my opinion, It's shouldn't be optional. Um, to get bind insurance in Florida, you'll need certain insurance inspections, like a wind mitigation, as well as a, a four-point, depending on how old the house is. I know in, uh, insurance is, it's you know, it's kind of home inspector insurance, I know a three and four here, but they're, they're kind of intertwined. Um, I know insurance is changing. I know uh, Florida just implemented citizens' uh, state insurance again, uh, just because uh, insured, insurance ha- changes all the time as far as wh- what they'll cover. I know uh, roofs are a big issue. They want you to have upgraded roofs, you know, j- so just having the, those good agents and inspectors. And, and usually uh, for folks who are moving to the area, I, I usually uh, refer these out from from realtor on down. So they just get pre-approved and then everything's just taken care of. Okay. Number three, underestimating closing costs and ongoing costs. Now, uh, basically the cost of a home consists of three things, down payment, closing costs, and prepaids. Everybody thinks, well, I, I have 3% down, 3.5% down for FHA, and that's all I need, right? And they just kind of do the math. You know, there, there's closing costs. In the state of Florida, you know, there, there's doc stamps because there's no state income tax, so they make their money through uh, intangible tax and, and deed stamps. So and and many times you know uh, the seller will 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 pay the the deed deed side which is seventy cents per thousand, but you have to check your contract. A lot of builders don't. They make you pay that, and uh, you know so there's certain things that that sellers will pay. Usually the deed stamps on uh, on the contract price, as well as owner's title policy. You have to have uh, title work done. Not to mention that. So there's, and then there's your closing costs. I mean, the the, the lender sides are, are are very little. You know, so usually I'll charge like a seven ninety five processing fee and maybe any discount points if you want to buy down your rate. And that's a personal decision. You know, on, on a case by case basis. And then there's prepaid items like your first year of, of insurance. You get paid twelve months of insurance up front, like like we talked about, and plus three months to buy them for the next year. So you have your escrows depending on how big the tax bill is. You know, your prepaid items can be bigger than your closing costs. So uh, you know, so it's just all, of, and again, part of the pre-approval process and, and the discovery and strategy is, is looking at all those costs, you know, and I'm an open book. You know, one of the things that you'll see, if, if, you know, if you're shopping is that you'll get wildly different, uh, you know, different cash to closes. You know, so it's just that the cash to close consists of these three things. You know, I try and be very much upfront and to, to know exactly what you're going to pay. Um, so the ongoing costs. You know, you know, the taxes and insurance changes. Now, especially if you buy a new construction property, your tax bill is based off of the land. So, once the, the county gets around to reassessing it, your taxes are going to jump, you know, just because it was based off an artificially low tax bill. That's number one. And your insurance, it can change just every year, just through sheer uh, inflation, or, you know, or, or something happens, you know, with that carrier, or if you have another hurricane, you know, so th- those are potential things. And that's usually part of your mortgage payment. And you can say, well, my payment jumps, like, well, not necessarily your tax and insurance jumped, you know, because most of what we do are fixed rates. So uh, routine maintenance, you know, uh, more of an, I, if you're in an HOA, if I'm in an HOA, you know, there's certain things that my, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm on the board of my HOA, you know, certain things we ask our homeowners to do, like, you know, get a new mailbox doesn't look like, <laughs> look bad or just, you know, redo your roof as far as, you know, cleaning it. You know, just routine maintenance, just understand if you're in HOA that maybe even more. Uh, your major items like your roof, your paint, AC in Florida, they go, your AC is on pretty much all year long. So you definitely need to, you know, plan for those things. You know, you know, maybe prepare a, prepare a contingency fund and know the home that you're buying. You know, of course, newer homes, not as much maintenance, you know, but uh, they have their own caveats as well. Uh, you know, older home, you know, maybe you, get, you make it a good deal, but plan for more maintenance. And of course, um, you know, when you're looking at uh, a- insurance costs and things like that. So it's just, you had to factor all those costs into it. Okay. Uh, number four, credit. You knowing scores and correcting errors. So it's very important that, that you do that because that is credit drives the train. You know, so basically, you know, and then in credit karma, you know, it's just a guide. You know, it uses a different model called the vantage model, not the FICO model that we use in the mortgage industry. You know, so uh, use MyFICO.com if your credit is a question. You know, most of the, uh, the folks I, I talk to who know their credit's good, it, it's going to be good. You know, so uh, if you're on, you know, on these artificial, I guess, uh, borderlines, like 700 is one and also 640 is another. So if you're near any of those kind of, um, and, and they're really uh, pricing uh, borderlines, basically, and they can, By one point from 639 to 640, it's a drastic change. It can be drastic change in interest rate and cost. So knowing what your scores are up front, uh, very important. Uh, Of course, any major derogatory, bankruptcy, foreclosure, short sale, you must disclose it to me up front. Uh, You'd be surprised. I've had things go into contract and, and, you know what happens is the the lenders they'll do Alexa Alexis, Nexus the, the entire country's databases and they find it. I've had borrowers and say, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I mean, they really thought I wouldn't find it, <laughs> and, and you know they lost their deposit and and things like that. So that's just uh, a mistake of not being honest about your credit upfront. There's um, any kind of possibility, you know, when it comes to foreclosures and short sales, well, I was sort of on this property or, or, or not like yet it has to be disclosed, and that way I, I can I can nip that in the bud right away. Um, you know, or a bankruptcy, like if you had a foreclosure and a bankruptcy, I can pull your bankruptcy paperwork and just knock that out. I mean, the more we know up front, the more that we can attack as we're you know guiding you through the underwriting process. Okay. And you know, when I pull credit, we'll look at rescore strategies, you know, sometimes it, like when I, I pull credit, it'll give me, of course, the middle, middle FICO score, and then like a plus, whatever, there's potential score improvement. If we need to get above those hurdles, you know, especially if you're near 640 or 700, it can really change, you know, it's a game changer of course a the, uh, big theme lately is student loans you know that's what i see more and more for some home buyers have student loans are you an income-based repayment because if you have if you're a conventional loan and if income-based repayment and, it, and usually when i pull the credit report it'll say zero dollars for the payment and then if that if you're income-based repayment i can use that zero it helps you qualify for more or if you go FHA, it's 1% of the balance, you know, and conventional, we'll use, uh, Fannie Mae will use 1%, Freddie Mac will use half a percent. So if you have significant student loan balances, we need to identify those because that can really affect your affordability, uh, a maximum debt to income. Okay, and then of course, you know, identify and correct your errors, you know, and then we'll, we'll help you do that. Okay. All right, moving on, number five, assuming you need a 20% down payment. I know it's uh, you know they done other studies. I I, I can't I don't know where, where exactly it came from. But I know that a significant amount of people still think that twenty percent down is required. Okay, you know when uh, you know most people don't put twenty percent down. This, this is from Experian. You know uh, the average down payment on a house is thirteen percent. The average first time home buyer puts down seven you know, percent. Usually you know you're, you're at your FHA loans, like I said, three and a half, um, and then conventional does have a three percent down option. You know as long as you're a first-time home buyer that we define as haven't owned a home in three years okay that's the technical definition of a 1st time home buyer okay and then where does the money come from you know almost 60 percent from savings account you know um any kind of gifts if you're buying a house from a relative you do a gift of equity we always try and find options now i know you might be inquiring about down payment assistance options that's something that, that i do personally um I, I believe you know there's programs out there from the state there's other colleagues of mine that will do them i don't like them i don't believe in them i think they're they they, they um because the artificial cloud is basically what they usually are are silent seconds just to, to sit on your property and you forget about them i've had some refi clients that come to refinance and they say wait a minute my payoff should be this and they're like did you get down payment assistance five years ago oh yeah i forgot about that and they for- just forget that there's a a mortgage sitting on their property until they go to refinance and they need cash out for something else. And then it just, it comes back to bite them. So, but I mean, and look, if that's what you need. That's what you need. You know that's fine. I I, w- I would refer you to, uh, to colleagues who do those things. So just keep in mind a lot of you know the increased rate and costs for those things, uh, for down payment assistance. Okay. Um, you know, look at all the options. It doesn't have to be twenty percent. You know, usually what I try and do is um, you get a usually shoot for FHA three and a half percent. You can have a seller, you know, uh, pay up to six percent in your closing costs. You know, that's that's one tactic. You know, we again, it's a case by case basis based on on what you're trying to accomplish. You know, and. Another thing too, if you have if you're selling a house and you're necessarily a first- time home buyer or a move- up buyer, or you're getting a large gift, you know it doesn't swing your payment as much as you think it does. yeah, and and then part of when I, I look at uh, and I do a mortgage coach for them, i'll I'll look at different purchase prices and different down payment amounts and then like, whoa, It's really not that much. You know, one one common tactic I do uh, is basically it's called 15 It's greater than 20. (laughs) You know, it's kind of, well, if I put down 15% versus 20%, it's a significant drop in cash and it's a tiny bit of mortgage insurance. Yes, you will have mortgage insurance on conventional FHA um, for putting down less than 20%. However, you can use that mortgage insurance to your advantage. So, you so, know, especially in that 15 uh, versus 20% example, you, it, it, it saves, saves some cash out of pocket. The, the uh, drop in payment, uh, the, the uh, mortgage insurance is, is minimal. Of course, it's all FICO dependent, but you use a, a mortgage insurance to your advantage and do that. So um, you know, cash is king, like I said, you know, use it wisely. And again, part of what I do I pre-approve is, is I look at all your options. Okay, income, not knowing any income issues. Okay, now debt to income still drives all mortgages until they change the rules, debt to income is the number one factor for approval for yes or no approval, um, even for manual underwrites uh, you know, versus your, your, your Fannie Mae Freddie Mac uh, systems, your debt to income is still the, the, the quote unquote risk factor that they look at uh, to determine whether a loan is risky. So, you know, the debt is one, one portion we talked about for, for credit and, and student loans, et cetera, but this is the other, other, other denominator, which is your income, okay, especially self-employed. You know, self-employed, there's multiple programs out there. You know, if you, depending on how you file your taxes, all those things, we have to really analyze that, especially in 2020, some lenders have uh, very overlays to see if your business is still healthy moving forward after the shutdowns and whatnot. And so you, you have to really, really look at that. Of course, you know, new jobs, change jobs you know, Two-year history is important. We're gonna see, um, you know, also variable income is a big thing too. If you start a new job and then your entire income is overtime, that's a problem because you need two years you total. So, or if you have second jobs, you know, uh, one common uh, misconception is that, like, I know I work with a lot of nurses, you know, who have multiple jobs, worked at different places. And so you got to have one year at your second job in order to use that income. I know the, the guy, there's some lenders that will tell you it's two years, it's actually one year. You know, so it's just knowing your unique income situation is a mistake. You know, and just assuming that you, um, it is what it is, but, you know, talking with me and you know, knowing guidelines, you know, we'll look at it course, you know, the 1099 income switch, you know, has hey, I took a 1099 job, you know, it pays me more, or, or if your company switches to 1099, that, that's not good for you, because sometimes it'll reset you to have to have two years of file taxes to use it. Okay, it's not good. Of course, uh, working for family is another one, it's, we just have to account for that There's certain rules for that. So just knowing your income situation, you know, and that's all part of the interview process when do the pre approval uh, to see if there's any issues there. Okay. All right. And last but not least is number seven. I love this Jackie Chan meme. It's like, why applying for credit before the loan is funded? And I've had this happen way more times than you think. Like you can get all the way to the very end and then clear to close. Yes. Okay. You're about to sign tomorrow. And then go out and get a, uh, you know, a installment loan to buy furniture or a credit card. (laughs) And truth be told, I did this when I did my, refin- <laughs> my refinance, my wife and I laugh about it. Yes, I applied for a Coles card to get some Coles cash, but it was, you know, it was a VA or all it didn't have DTI requirements, but technically I did do this mistake. You know, I'm not a first time home buyer, but first time home buyer, and it, it, it can affect you because usually a, a lot of lenders will do a I'll call it a credit refresh and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll see. And if it, and it can affect your DTI, especially if you're borderline and, and you're just disqualifying, just you got to be very careful. Just wait till after the loan is funded to, to apply for these kind of things. Okay. All right. So that, that's kind of it in a nutshell, as far as the seven steps about why to buy a house. Hopefully we brought it all home about, yes, you're ready. Emmett, meant to go out and buy a house. Okay. What are the next steps? Okay. If you go to DempseyMortgage.com, get in the pre-approval process. Um, you can put your information. I'll give you a call back. We can schedule uh, your strategy call. Okay. Look at your family's unique situation. All right. And we'll implement a strategy based on your goals. And we'll start building wealth for real estate. Okay. Do we have any questions? Okay. Well, thank you so much. I uh, hope to help you and your family on your first home buyer journey. Talk to you soon.